Oh yeah, welcome folks to the Disco Posse Podcast. My name is Eric Wright and I am your host and the voice in the mind behind this really cool conversational appliance that we call the Disco Posse Podcast. I got to give a big shout out and a thanks to all the folks that have supported and thank you. Oh, I see the listener counts are kicking up, lots of comments, lots of ratings, so thank you very much for doing that. And in fact, a big thank you goes to our good friends and supporters, uh, who the sponsors of the podcast, including Veeam Software. So if you're looking, like me, for protecting your data, whether it's in the cloud, whether it's back on-premises out in the data center, whether it's even in SaaS, like Microsoft Office 365 and Teams, you really, really, really need to know that your data protection is by the leading standard bearer in the industry, and Veeam is that. So I'm a longtime fan and user of the platform, and I love the team. So if you want to find out more about everything you need for your cloud data protection needs and your business continuity with Veeam's all amazing DR platforms, make sure you head on over to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse, and you can get linked up. In fact, you can find out more, get connected, even buy it right on the spot uh, if you wanted to. So go do that, please. Go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse and find out everything you need for your data protection needs. Also brought to you by the four-step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos. I've been very happy that I was able to take some time uh, a few months ago and craft together a, a set of lessons that have really held true to me and by peers in my industry and we've had really good feedback. So if you want to find out more about how to deliver software demos that really tell a story and connect you better and engage with customers and prospective customers, then go to velocityclosing.com and you can find out more. All right, let's get to the good stuff. This is a return episode with Don W. Long. Don has a new book that's out, and it's called God's Blueprint for Nations. And more than that, really, Don just is a fantastic person who I really enjoy spending time with. Uh, a great uh, business leader, uh, a great mentor, and somebody who I'm lucky to connect offline as well as through the podcast. So with that, I hope you love this show as much as I did. And make sure you check out the book. Here is Don W. Long. Hey guys, this is Don W. Long, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. Glad to be here today. You're listening to the Disco Posse I am extremely proud. Uh, you know, it's it's nice when you get a chance to hear familiar voices and see familiar faces. And so I'm proud to welcome back uh, the one and only uh, Don W. Long. We definitely need more Don W. Longs in this world, uh, but I'm glad that I can share a little bit of time with this one. Uh, so Don, welcome back. Uh, we had a really fantastic discussion. I had a ton of great feedback from the last show. Um, so we're going to cover a few different things, uh, but for folks that maybe didn't get a chance to catch the first one, if you don't mind, just sort of reintroduce yourself, let us know where we can find you online, then we're going to jump in. We'll talk about the book, we'll talk about your overall uh, business, how things are going, and uh, just kind of get caught up on on a lot of the challenges that go on in the world and you know what what you're doing in order to really help to, to kind of bring people through some of that stuff. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, Eric, it's really good to be back with you. I really enjoyed the same, uh, enjoyed the introduction because I'm like you. It's nice to actually talk to people that you feel like there's a kindred spirit with, you know, and, and not everybody that, that gets you click with, you know, and I feel like we did from the first time we met, but really glad to be back. And uh, a little bit about me, I built uh, several businesses, two of them were multi-million dollar businesses. And uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to sell the last business and start authoring some books and helping business people mainly um, in the entrepreneurial field of all types of businesses with, with the things that I had learned over about 35 years. A um, couple of books that I authored, the newest one we can talk about, uh, but a couple of those are more destiny discovery books than they are business. What I found out about business is that when you're fully alive and fully engaged, your business flows better. And a lot of people are, you know, they're succeeding, but they're succeeding at the cost of having happiness and fulfillment. And I'm like, that's not really success. So, you know, that's kind of been my journey in business. And uh, it's been a blast since I sold my last company, uh, just helping. I love to help uh, entrepreneurs. I have this saying that I use metamorphosis when I coach people that you were a caterpillar. Now you are a butterfly. And this is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing, but that transformation that takes place with people when the light bulb comes on, that's what gives me juice and makes me come alive. So that's, you know, kind of, uh, for lack of better words, that's my caffeine for the day. <laughs> if I can get that to happen for people. Well, and it's, it's really interesting that you you talked and, and just before we got started, we talked about, you know, some of the areas that you really help folks in. And I'm often, you know, as I go through the sort of list of books on the on the bookshelf of, you know, advice books for business and life and whatever, it's they're very often centered around things going great and using using those as inspirational stories, which they can be. Obviously, it's fantastic to look to a very positive story and a positive outcome. But that doesn't necessarily walk you through, you know, how to recover from things. And I think, you know, adversity and recovery is in fact the best, you know, path to a positive outcome because it doesn't just get you there once because it pulls you through that experience, but then hopefully it kind of creates that, that muscle memory so that if you're then presented with that situation, then you've now kind of got the toolkit to go and, and, okay, you know, I'm in this situation. It's a, you know, not every sale is a yes, you know, and you can tell people all you want, like, oh, every no is one no closer to a yes. Like, <laughs> no, that's, that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> I, 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 it sounds like a great platitude and it would go nicely on a wall, like behind the, the, the front desk of, a, of an office. But the reality is if, if you, and I said, I never take advice from somebody who's never had anything go wrong because you, you want to learn how they recover, not how they just, things go well. Yeah. I, I love the quote and I think it's Mike Tyson's quote that everybody has a plan to you get punched in the mouth and then what's your plan. And yeah. so, you know, adversity, unfortunately, uh, I went through a hard time back in probably 2014, I think is when it was. I'm a big believer in journaling, love to journal. I write down my, my I'm, I'm, I don't know if you are, have read Psalms, but David, if you read Psalms, David is like, he's like up here one day and down in the valley the next. It's like he's a schizophrenic ADD type thing. It's just incredible to see the storyline in there so many times. And so for me, it encourages me, but 
for journaling, I'll write everything down, the good, the bad, the ugly, what I'm feeling, what I'm processing. Um, and so I'm a big believer. I've been journaling since I think Oh four, I heard uh, I was actually listening uh, to one of Tony Robbins's talks and uh, he talked about it and I started doing it right after that. And it's been powerful in my life. But I, the thing that happened to me in that time frame was I had this phrase come into my mind. Do you know how you create capacity? And I'm like, okay, well, I get the whole thing that the, that the power of your answers are in the power of your questions, right? So I'm like, I have no idea. And the phrase came back to me, you have to be broken. It's the only way to create new capacity. And so I was going through a hard time in business at that time where some deals didn't work out. And what I realized is I work out with a bunch of crazy CrossFit people and they're about <laughs> the craziest people that I know. And they stretch the limits beyond what I even think is possible. And I'm 59 now, so I'm almost 60. Most of them are in their you know mid 30s to early 40s. So they got a little bit on me. But the thing that I that when if you take bodybuilding or working out or stuff like that, the way to build new muscle is to tear it. It actually doesn't build and grow into stronger physical muscle without tearing the tissue first. And there's a tearing and a recovery. And I did, I did five talks one time on, on renew, recover. Um, I can't remember. I had five R's and uh, it, it had to, I fought, it followed basically bodybuilding and working out, but it had to do with life. And it's like, look, you know, unfortunately, I like to tell people, you know, you've got to be positive. Positive people accomplish more than negative people. I don't know if you know the study, but it was a Stanford study where they did, uh, and I think it was Stanford, somewhere out in either UCLA or Stanford, where they did a study on uh, uh, people who were optimist. And the optimist always over uh, guessed how much he could accomplish or she could accomplish. Always, always overestimated, right? But the person who was a negative or a pessimist was always more accurate in their assessment of what they could accomplish than the optimist every time. It was amazing. So the person, people who are pessimistic actually are more cognizant to what they can accomplish. But the, the challenge is, is the optimist was always overshooting, but they always <sighs> did more than they could do as well. They always succeeded higher, but maybe not to the height that they shot for because of their optimism. And so I'm a big believer in giving people powering mind, empowering mindsets, but I'm also a realist. See, I, I, you have to, at some point in time, you have to know what's real. And right. sometimes when you get punched in the mouth or you get knocked down or the deal doesn't go, it goes south or, or whatever, you don't get the contract, whatever that is, that's when you meet, that's when you have that dark night of the soul. And you have to pick yourself up and say, okay, it's going to be okay. You know, I'm, somehow I'm going to come back from this. And it's like, you have to find that place. That's different for every personality type. I'm a big believer in, in and I teach people on the personality type. So for me, I'm a DI and that my, the I in me is always optimistic overboard. You know, the D is a little bit more accurate in assessment, but then you've got other people, the S, my wife's more of an S. And so they kind of get melancholy. Like right. when I lose a deal, uh, my wife would get depressed. I can't even spell the word depressed. I just get angry. But see, it's, see, it's the same. It's the same. You're, it's actually the same response. It's just with the way my personality processes that. Right. It's through anger or frustration or 
uh, pushing harder square peg round hole, uh, you know, that type of thing where she would close off, where introverts would tend to close off more. So you have to figure out who you are when these things happen. And the best way, it, unfortunately, the best way to learn about life is to get punched in the mouth and figure out how you go react. And if you look, it's like with your kids, um, people who have children understand this. Um, I have two daughters. And so I probably was overprotective of them because they were girls. Had I had boys, I probably would have been raised them a little differently. But do you want your kids, and I heard this from Jordan Peterson, so I'll give him credit for you. Do you want your kids strong or do you want them safe? And, you know, right. now that I've raised two daughters, I would rather, I wished I had, you know, made them a little stronger, younger. Because strong, they can take care of themselves. Safe, they're always dependent on other people. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, so it, it, that's kind of how the business thing flows as well. Go ahead. And it's it's interesting too, and of course you mentioned Dr. Peterson, and and uh, for folks that uh, he's an interesting figure, and in that it's controversial sometimes uh, because some people of he sort of was introduced to the to the wider world through a really challenging uh, legal controversy that happened in Canada. I'm, I'm from Toronto, so I I knew it all very well. But if you look at sort of the teachings and, and some of the work, and you talked before about journaling, and in fact, one of his programs is this future authoring program. And it's very much shown that when you do this future authoring and effectively write your future and through journaling and whether it's daily pages, morning pages, whatever it's going to be, that that act of, of journaling and writing it down, it's been shown across the measurement of time that it has a positive impact. Like you said, that's a great insight too, Don. Like if we go back and we can find there are studies that actually back this, that he said they'll be more accurate. If you aim low, you're going to hit the target. Yep. So you'll be a hundred percent, you're, you're good on your projections yep. versus somebody. Now, the interesting thing is now it becomes the balancing act of like you said with you and your wife, where you, you process the negativity through to a different you know, different internal emotion and different internal reaction. And that will, in fact, motivate you. And so that same thing can can demotivate her. So there's a neat thing of like taking different personalities and sort of mapping those reactions. And 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 really a lot of it is, you know, like you said, it's teaching yourself the process of getting through it and observing, really like getting introspective and saying, hey, okay, so that didn't go well. And it's very much what what can I do about this now, and what would I do differently in the future? And the hard part is the uh, what I'll do differently in the future. It's very easy for us to say like, all right, you know, I had a had a really rough day today, and I'm I'm not going to let this get to me. And then you know, three days later, you have a rough day, and it it very much gets to you. <laughs> it's a <laughs> we're we're the human machine is right. is built on. The lizard brain, you know, we get this sort of amygdala hijack, the fight or flight reactions. All these things are, they're born into us. And unfortunately, we're fighting science and we're fighting a lot to get through it. However, there are great techniques like you talk about of where we can actively kind of like look for how to recover, how to build those things. And then it's nice to see, like I said before. You know, you're not just going to come here and say, hey, just wake up, do your jump up and down and say, I'm, I feel great. I feel great. I mean, that's that's incredibly positive and does good things. But if that's all you tell people, then when it comes time to the adversity, like you talked about your daughters, like there may come a time and we all we all make that 
that thing. I, I don't mean to call out your relationship with your daughter specifically, yeah, but anybody absolutely. that we, that we protect, we're, we're protecting them now, but we're actually not protecting them in the long term as a result. That's, right. That's exactly right. You know, the, the thing about it is, is what I, what I try to get people to understand because you're right. We have that intuitive fight or flight built into our system. And the only way to not, you can't always avoid it, you know, every time, but there is a way to reframe it through meaning. And if you can reframe things through the meaning, then that, that flight or flight doesn't quite get as aggressive on you and make you do stuff that you wish you hadn't done, you know? So, um, I tell people, you know, that life is, uh, is lived in the Valley floor. Um, I like going to Napa been three or four times and the richest, fruit and the richest cabernets in napa are in the valley they're in the bottom of the floor that's where the richest soils are and so i really got a good lesson when i was out there um and i realized that most of your life if you take the 80 20 rule it's, it's usually always right 80 percent of your life is going to be lived in the valley and only 20 percent at most will be what i call mountaintop experiences and so you know, it doesn't mean that the 80% has to be negative. You're actually growing in the valley. The valley floor is where all the growth in your life happens. The pain, pain is a great teacher as long as it doesn't become a jailer. And so what happens when you're going through a process and you didn't get the deal or whatever it is that didn't happen that makes you go over the edge of the ledge, the key is learn how you react. Don't worry about how your spouse reacts or your friend or, or the person on the other side of the, the client aisle, so to speak. But how do you process that? It's important for you to learn that because when you know you, uh, Socrates, to, to yourself, be true and to know yourself, right? So it, when you know yourself and how you're going to react, it actually puts safeguards around you for future impediments that are going to show up because they are. You're going to run into the donkey in the road again. You're going to run into the stick in the mud. You're not going to. Life uh, sucks and is hard. Get over it. I love the book, and I forget the guy's name. I think it's Scott Peck. Uh, it's a classic. I don't really like the book. It's kind of a downer for me, but he's a, he's a famous psychologist guy. And the name of his book is The Road Less Traveled. And it's, it's off of that, that, that quote. But in, in the very beginning of the book, he has this statement when you turn to page one. It says, life is hard. Get over it. <laughs> yeah, that's I got. I got bad news for you. This is how it's going to go. <laughs> it is, well, and it becomes the old uh, sort of statement of, and I I don't know the origin of it was, if you don't like something, change it, and if you can't change it, then change the way you think about it. That's there, right. There, there really will be opportunities where, you know, it's we're just going to have to face these things, and it's it's a matter of yeah, what do we do to compensate for it? Yeah, you know, and you know, you and I we talked before a lot about this, the way in which, you know, it affects business and, and general motivation. And we talked a lot in the past about sort of the, the, the spirituality. And it was, it's interesting too, because, it, you know, we often see this mixture of folks that can be not, not religious, but spiritual. And when we look to it, what is it that draws them to that style of, of being? And often it is there, they're a little closer where they're seeing like the, you know, the, the parables, literally like the things, the comparatives that they can have stories from elsewhere where they can take them and bring them in. And quite often it's seeing beyond to a greater thing, you know, a thing that's an outcome that I can't control. Absolutely. Even if it's a, if we say a greater being, whatever, if Lily is talking to pure spirituality, 
you see there's a thing that you cannot control, but it's been given to you as a lesson. Mm -hmm. Those are the times that you grow. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. And, but, but what I really, what I liked, and, and so I got a chance, uh, thank you as well for, for sharing an early copy of the book. I, uh, I, I was rapid in the download and, and I read through it. Uh, and I really appreciate it because this is, it's a really challenging subject, right? We're, we're in an, a really interesting time in the world. And what you talked about was it's going to be, it'd be received differently from different folks depending on how their sense of, of the world is right now. And it's, I think I'll quote Penn, Penn Gillette of the famous uh, Penn and Teller magicians. It says there are two things that are invariably true. The world is getting better and everybody thinks it's getting worse. <laughs> That's true. And by many measures, things are, are vastly better, you know, worldwide, uh, countrywide, you know, even locally. There are also things that we are now in the way that a ship steers slowly. The world is going through interesting changes in that I think we're, as a society, we're really testing whether we can correct where you know things have occurred for for reasons, whether right or wrong. They have been, there's been behaviors, there have been things that have occurred for decades, mm -hmm. centuries. And we have a very sudden shift of of folks at a broad level trying to like just just put a fork in that road. Put that there's a there's a lot of mules being shoved into the driveway right now mm -hmm. to in a belief of that overcorrection for a lot of things is going to be like, oh, like we have to very suddenly fix this thing. And so your book really explores a lot about the challenges, you know, uh, we talk about the the change uh, where faith has been removed from a lot of uh, of schools. You talk about bending the twig. So if you if you don't mind, Don, let's give us sort of a summary of kind of the 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 hopes and and why you why you brought the book to the market. And I'd love to kind of explore a couple of the topics inside, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Um, so the kind of what happened to me. Um, I'm one of these people that still believes that God talks to people. So it, it, people have to know that about me to get the whole story. So in 2016, about halfway through that year, I heard God speak to me saying, I want you to teach my church or the people of faith or the spiritual people how to be more worldly. And my first thought was that's going to go over like a lead balloon <laughs> <laughs> because most people in the church are in spiritual circles want to escape from the world and are remove themselves from it, at least in their experience of life in the spiritual path. And so for me, it started this journey where I wrote my first book, The Blueprint of God, which is more of a personal discovery, destiny type discovery book, um, which kind of goes through the processes of these seven steps of you arriving to who you are, I believe, in the, in the, in the highest form that you can get to. Um, but I realized that in our nations, and, I, and you're, you're a Canadian, and it doesn't really matter what nation you're from. I'm from America, so the book is kind of centered around uh, our nation, but I also realize it's affecting other nations, um, this, this whole thought process. And there's three things that, that are not in the book that I can kind of process with you as I've, I've, I've went through and 
uh, I don't know if you've wrote any books, but when I write, it takes me, I probably went through that book eight or 10 times adding, editing, and then I had a, a copy editor edit it twice, and then I had to go back through it again. So I, I'm kind of tired of reading my own book. <laughs> but anyways, just kind of fun thought there. But the thing that I realized is when pressure, uh, and I'll give you a statistic, every time that Israel is bombed, right before an election, well, you, I want to use that as an example, they always vote center-right, right after the bombing, if it's a bombing. Because what happens, and it's not one is diff right or wrong, I'm not, that's not really the point. Right, yeah, no, no, the, exactly. The, the point is, is that we go back to three things. We go back to our traditions, our roots, and our absolutes as a nation, whether it's Israel, whether it's Canada, whether it's Georgia over in the former Soviet Union, it doesn't matter. And, and you find that somehow our traditions of spirituality as a world, since the Enlightenment age, you know, you were talking since the 14-1500s forward, uh, has really roped us and been a foundation for us as a people coming into the different things that's happened, just say, since the 1500s. And it's not just a, a uniquely American or United States thing, although the United States was established as a Christian nation. We have all kinds of beliefs in our country, you know, and I'm for people celebrating their belief. But the key is, is learning how to go back to the roots that founded your nation and made it great, whatever those are. And you'll find that they're always based in eternal principles and absolutes. In other words, um, in our country and in America, and people will understand this over the last 50 to 100 years, I write about this book, we've bought into this thought because it's been propagated from the top universities that truth is relative. Unfortunately, truth doesn't have versions. It only has one version. And so we have to get back to that. And now some people will argue and say, well, no, it, truth is real. No, it's not relative. It's not relative when you're building nations. And this book is about God's blueprint for nations. It's a, primarily I wrote from an American's viewpoint, but it's for other nations as well, because it, it's like we have to get back to the things that made, for instance, Italy great or France great, not just the United States. And we've got to get back to the And what you'll find every time, every time, because I've, I've got a, a scholar who's a lot smarter than me. He's a Ph.D. with the school in Durham and Oxford over in England. And there are studies on this for over the last 20 years. And it's trending in the way I'm talking about, which is going back to. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of nationalism, but not Hitler's nationalism. So don't right. think of it like that. It's a, it's a form of, like, I'm proud to be a Canadian because I have these traditions, these roots, and these absolutes. And, that, and that's the kind of thing that happens to nations when they're confronted by some powerful thing that seems overwhelmingly trying to morph them into a system. And that's kind of the perspective of the book. And, and I talk about how we ended up, you know, bending the twig and beliefs and, and uh, you know, how we have to change this and there's paths to change it because actually how we've ended up here is because the other side, so to speak, or the system that's behind the other side actually used these tactics against us. So that's how we ended up here. You know. It everybody seems to leave that part off when they go through history, right? It's uh, and you you really raised a great point. And one of the 
it's, it lines up with what you talk about in lessons in business, lessons in life. And, and one of the phrases that comes and it was talk about serpents and doves yeah. and the dichotomy that we all have to sort of face where we have to think like, you know, like optimists and pessimists, right? It's, there's gotta be someone who's optimistic in, in aim, but pessimistic in understanding of where it could go. And, and that really talks about, you know, the, 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 the idea of, of act, you know, act as a serpent and that's also with a dove. Right. And, and, and I apologize. I've, I, so I've, so what happens. I read books so, so much. And now I'm like, I had, I like all these things stuck in my head. So I'm in, entirely misquoting. I apologize. <laughs> and I also, I've got it written down too, but the goal is, you know, as people, how do we welcome that dichotomy where we have to see the, the risks and the potential, the negative potential that's always there, but yet, you know, do so without bringing specific harm. Mm. You know, Edmund Burke has a great quote. I think it's in the book. I put a lot of his quotes in the book. Um, and it, it goes something like this. The only uh, protection for honest men and women is to think the highest level of evil of evil men. In other words, Treat them like a serpent until they prove otherwise. Right. And this is, this is Jesus' teaching himself. Uh, he was teaching his disciples how to stay alive. If you read that particular passage, what you'll find is it's sandwiched. It's the meat of, the, of that chapter. And within the meat of that chapter, you have a slice of bread on top and a slice of bread on the bottom. The slice of bread on the top, he tells, and these are the closest to him. These are his personal people. He says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So I grew up on a farm. Sheep are dead meat with wolves. They have no protection. They have none, right? They don't have any. So he tells them, first of all, if you, you I want you to understand, you're going to die if you don't learn how to use the wisdom of the serpent. <laughs> okay, number one. Then he goes on and says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And then the second slice of bread, he says, oh, by the way, they're going to take you before councils and synagogues, and they're going to beat you, put you in jail, and possibly kill you. So in the middle of this sequence of death here, death there, we have the meat of what he's trying to get across. And he's, this is the way I would paraphrase it. He's saying, look, boys, if you want to live a successful life, you have to learn how to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves and marry the two. And what I've found in life, and especially around spiritual people and Christians as at large, is that we've got the nice part down. We have the harmless part down. We just have not understood what the wisdom of the serpent actually looks like. As a matter of fact, the first book that I wrote on the subject, The Blueprint of God, you've read it, I think. But it, it I started, the, the title was going to be the wisdom of the serpent saving the systems the father loves. That was going to be the original title. And the publisher talked me into a different path. And, and, and I go through a lot of these things in that book more profoundly than I do in the God's blue book for nations or, you know, a blueprint for nations. But it, it, the context of it is where I got the foundation. And what I realized is, is that if you go over to Luke chapter 16, what you'll find is you find another parable. And it says the sons of darkness are wiser than your generation than the sons of light. Basically, they're smarter than us. That's what it says. And so I started this whole thing of praying through this and grappling. Why is that so? How can 
that be so that doesn't even seem right you know and so that's the marrying of the two things that were taught that are going to be in the book of the foundation of how you deal with the world system around you in other words for a lack of better words people in business will understand this trust is earned not given you right. never give people trust until they earn it I mean, it's like that. It's that simple. But a lot of times spiritual people are a little bit gullible and naive. (laughs) It's what I found. And we want to be. We don't want to believe. In other words, if I don't know you, Eric, I don't want to believe that you're a serial killer or that you're evil. I don't want to believe that about you. I want to believe that you're a nice guy. You love your wife if you have one and your kids and and that you're a nice guy. That's what all of us want to believe when we meet a new person. We don't want to believe the worst about them. Unfortunately, according to Edmund Burke, and I believe it's true in the time we're living in, the only defense for honest men is to assume all possible evils of evil men. And there's another quote that I really love. He says, and this is where we're at, and I think this is where people like us, uh, whatever nation you're from, have to get involved in our in our local politics. I realize politics is a dirty word, but if, if we don't start making it clean, we're going to suffer the consequences. And one of his quotes, which has really shook me and, and it started this path for me, was that the good men who refuse to get involved in politics are women, both genders, who f- refuse to get involved in politics will be ruled by evil men. So if you refuse to get involved in the dirty process, guess what? You're going to be a slave. Do you want, I mean, it's like, that's the option. It's like, so I think for me, of course, I'm, you can tell I'm an evangelist and kind of passionate on this subject because I wrote a book about it. Actually, I have two, but it's, I I am really trying to look for middle ground with people too, because I realize everyone comes with a plethora of beliefs. And I try not to shove mine. I'm my background's Christian. So I mean, I try not to shove mine on people, but I also realize there's a place that we can gather where we can go back to our traditions, our roots and absolutes as a nation and start celebrating that instead of all the divisiveness of, uh, for a lack of better words, I'm white, I'm an American Indian, I'm a Chinese, you know, I'm like an American. And I think we need to drop the labels. And that's not in the book. That's just a little pet peeve of mine. Actually, my grandfather, my great grandfather, you wouldn't know this looking at me, I'm sure. Um, but my great-grandfather, um, let's see, it's my great-grandmother, I'm sorry, it's my great-grandmother's dad was a full-blooded Indian. So I got, I don't know how much that makes it me have, but I have Native Indian blood, you know, and, and it's like, and I have other nationalities because we're all kind of mixed people to start with, you know. Uh, it's like if you have a mom that's Irish and a dad who's Italian, guess what? You're Italian and Irish. You know? <laughs> it's like... I just, for me, these labels have become ways to divide us instead of unite us. It's a real, it's a challenge, I think, that, and this is one of the things I often struggle with in that, you know, the reaching out to, to into the community to look for folks. And and we often get this and technology is a great example, right? We face this often as the, the challenge of, of diversity uh, of the of you know both the audience participants and ultimately where this next class comes from, and in the same way you describe this you know, idea of like bending the twig that you bend the twig and ultimately it will it will bend the tree you know for generations to come. We are now you know doing better things at the primary school level, which will introduce 
new generations of technologists and and tech focused education and and we're bringing so in that area we are we are trying to do something the challenge of course is that it will be take probably 20 to 30 years to be fully okay. realized and it's really difficult for us as humans to to have patience and what often happens is when we go to to really drive a point you know to help out you know the thing the first thing that happens is we we apply today's labels and we apply 30 years of future of inability to change that label immediately and so what happens is like if i go and i'm i'm like i help a lot with like girls to code you know black girls coding any mm. any community where the, whether it's people of color whatever origin wherever they're from pe folks that are underrepresented i do my best to help to participate both through interaction and and through donations wherever i can but we end up with this challenge where I can't get overly involved because if you were to put it up on the wall, I, I'm sort of the reason why we have to have these groups. And it's it's really unfortunate that by labeling, most folks are fine with it, right? Like, But it, we really do get stuck sometimes on the idea that I shouldn't have a bold opinion on it because I don't come from the community that's represented by the challenge. Mm -hmm. And I really get sad by that. Because I think it really truly takes both sides, right? That we have to, as a broad society and a broad community, always reach down to anybody, you know, when regardless of the color of the hand or the origin of the family, a helping hand is a helping hand. And and uh, like you said, so labeling is a is a thing where I, I worry sometimes that once you start to apply the label, if you don't apply the label to everybody, then we end up with disparities in in how we're we're bringing people forward and it's 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 frustrating to watch because i know like i also know hey i would be impatient as well right i right. would want change now we all yeah. do yeah yeah hard to think yeah. that we got to wait a generation or two you know i've got kids i've got four kids and i've got older kids and i'm i've got young kids and so i know that the thing that i teach the young kids right now I'm gonna see that show up in, in 19 years, right? Yep. And that's I the only reason I know this because I've got kids that are, you know, 19 and five and one and a half wow. and 17. So I I've I can actually see the proof in the results from stuff I taught them then, behavior that arrived later. Yep. <laughs> Most of us don't have that ability to have both sides of the visibility. This so is. it's hard, right? So anyways, it's me way more me talking here about this stuff, but I, I, I bring it up because, you know, this idea that, you know, like I said, I, that's why I talk, you know, very openly to you. Like I said, I, it's for folks that aren't necessarily religious, spirituality yeah. is different from religion. The lessons that we see in, in, in the book of God or, or whether it's the Quran or whatever, whatever your religious text is, yeah. you'll notice similarities in the stories, right? Absolutely. This, so like you said, I, I very much appreciate that you are open, that this is this is my my background is this. I come from here and I will proselytize this, yeah. but I also recognize the freedom and I welcome the freedom of other folks to have different ideas, different opinions. And, you know, when it all comes down, when we all come together, we all agree that we want greater things for all. Yeah. You know, the thing about it, that's why I go back to the three words that, that I've kind of articulated for me to kind of 
grapple with the process of 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 my black brothers and sisters are are about you know hispanic or asian or whatever uh whatever the case might be i don't mind other people using labels to describe themselves i think that's fine it doesn't it doesn't offend me it's just i hate to see people especially politicians put labels on people and uh, and people who are in that maybe that particular community and they're just doing it to make money i mean let's just be honest you know and so i hate to see that it's almost like pandering to a class of people but you're getting paid to pander and to me that's no more than prostitute you know and i was like i hate those type things and and it hurts the community whatever the community is um and i realized that if living in america i'm in the majority uh, just by the color of my skin. But if most people met me walking down the street, they'd have no idea that I, that I was half a uh, native in native American. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, cause I'm not, I'm not really that. I mean, I get a little bit darker when I get sun, but I didn't know that until I was grown. And my dad started talking about our, some of the heritage of my grandmother and, and, uh, or actually my great grandmother. And, and it was like, you know, fascinating to me, but you wouldn't know that walking down the street, uh, you know, meeting me. Uh, that, you know, my people, for lack of better words, have suffered under the hands of, of the tyranny of, of people that had the power, you know. And so I don't like making it about white or black or brown or Hispanic or Asian. I like to make it more about national roots. Right. Because it's like to me, let let's make let's let's have let's figure out how to make Canada great again as a whole people. Let's figure out how to make America great again as a whole people, not as one class. And let's let's figure out how to how to make France that the best place to live in the world again. Great with the great wines that they have there, the Bordeaux. I love Bordeaux, the bigger red wines. And so I'm a, I'm a cab guy, so that's what I like in France. But it's like you know Italy. I spent three weeks in Italy in '19, and I loved it. It was such a just cultural, you know. Uh, it was so. It's hard to, I don't know if you uh, speak other languages, but I only speak English. So when you go places and they don't speak your language, man, it's tough. <laughs> it's yeah. like it really is, you know? And it was like, we went to several places where they really weren't fluent. I assumed uh, 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 incorrectly uh, that most people in Italy spoke English. Well, that's not the case in some places. Uh, once you get <laughs> off the airport grounds, it's a little harder to find English natively. Like, definitely more so now, I think, just because of the, you know, the, but even there, like in France, and, and it's funny, I, uh, so I, I, I read French. I don't much more than I speak it. Uh, so I go to Montreal or I go to okay. Paris. Cool. Uh, either way, I can get around just fine. And, but it is funny that there's this really weird thing. You just go somewhere and you realize like I would, I flew through Germany on the way somewhere. And as I'm sitting in the airport, I was, I was genuinely concerned that I was going to get into a problem because I'm like, <laughs> I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I now have to go through passport control a couple of times, but and so you're sort of like nervously sitting there holding, you know, and this is, of course, me that I fly around and, and I travel with a microphone. So nothing. Let me tell you, Don, there's nothing more easy uh, in getting you pulled aside in, a, in an airport line than traveling with an eight inch aluminum tube filled with wires. Yeah. It's it pretty looks pretty exciting on an X-ray. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd end up always, you know, sort of like I know. This is going to get stopped. And uh, so you're, you, but it, it was a very different sensation, you know, and it's, I, 
it's funny when you bring up the, the phrase, you know, sort of national pride. And we, we unfortunately have co-opted a lot of these phrases and, and, and words. And I think that's where I really struggle that we are just so wrapped around the axle with the semantics of the use of a word or a small or a phrase. Whereas, you know, national, national pride as a nation, like literally a pride of nation gets immediately associated unfortunately for by some folks to nationalism and thus yeah. they then boop, 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 go back in time when was the last time we saw nationalism yeah. right uh you know so there's a, there's a long way to being proud as an american and I, look i'm i'm literally going through the process right now to become an american yeah. and and i'm incredibly proud of my canadian heritage and i will be incredibly proud to be an american yeah. i don't have to give up one to be to take on the other that's right I, and i so it's it's Interesting. I'll, I'll say, as an immigrant, uh, I'm effectively facing this sort of thing. Very different experience, immigration-wise, that I'm going through than most. But I went through a really challenging time recently with, you know, dealing with the immigration process. So there's there's no easy ride for anybody for sure. Um, mm -hmm. But anyways, the 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 real point that I that I want to bring up, and again, you talk about it uh, greatly, is this idea of you know, as a group, let's go back to kind of like core lessons and core principles. And that becomes important as we look to, you know, the great book is uh, for seeing this is the Lord of the Flies. If you've ever read Ooh. it, the they take these kids and the kids don't, they get dropped off on an island, you know, and so they're stranded on an island. And the first thing they say is like, all right, no parents, no rules. And then the first thing they do is they come up with, you know, like, oh, okay, well, you can't do this. You can't do this. We need to come up with some rules. Yeah. And then over the course of evolving this and learning behaviors and, and how they, they interact, they come up with a series of rules. One would say they would call them commandments, right? And they, you can't, don't murder, don't hurt, don't steal, don't like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a very natural order. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's the the interesting thing about it is when I sat down and talk with anyone, it doesn't matter whether they're conservative or liberal or whatever their flavor might be. If I can build around traditions and roots and absolutes, that most people are are can find middle ground. And it's like you know, for instance, in the uh, you probably don't know this. Most people that are live in America don't know this either. But on the South Freeze of the Supreme Court there's a picture of Moses holding the Ten Commandments. And um, you could only see the six commandments, not the four, and the six that have more to do with secular law. And this is what our foundation as Americans was built on from the beginning of our nation. Have we always lived up to it? No. Does anyone live up to the perfection of God? I doubt it, you know, because we're imperfect humans. And so, you know, we're humans having a spiritual experience uh, that's what people say. We're actually spiritual beings having a human experience. It's the other way around. And so we are, are I believe our spirits are perfect in God. But I think outside of that, our flesh and our soul still arriving. So that means we make mistakes along the way. You know, and America's replete with mistakes that it's made in its history. But it's also one of the greatest nations on earth that people still want to come to for a lot of the same reasons because we tried and failed and we tried to become better. We tried to do live up to the declaration where 
uh, all men are created equal in the in the in the image of God, you know, and we have una these unalienable rights where we pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, this is this is this is who we are as a people. Whether we always live up to that is definitely questionable. Uh, but if I can figure out, and, and my, my book is kind of when I use the word there, like Israel. If you take Israel, there's a book, and I wish I could think of the title because it's written by an uh, Israeli, and it's on nationalism, and it talks about all the positive things about nationalism. And they were the people that were persecuted by Hitler, obviously. So, you know that. But nationalism is not a bad word. It's just a matter of the way it's defined. And because when I look at it, it's like, I think you should be proud of your Canadian heritage. Well, that's all nationalism is. Right. <laughs> it's, just <yeah>. being <laughs> it's just being proud of where you're from, you know, and, and, and the roots that the Canadian lifestyle uh, put inside of you and the things that you were able to be afforded because you were a Canadian. You know, it's like it's easier for when I, t I talk about other nations for people to get this because America's kind of got this black eye, you know, because in, in, in some rightfully so, because our standards are so high that we don't ever, we sometimes don't live up to, them. <laughs> you know, so it, it, you can look a little hypocritical when you're not living up to your own standards that you're shooting for. Well, you, you bring up a good point, And I want to I want to play off of that, Don, because. You know, we use we use the phrase "nobody's perfect." You talk about sort of the perfect, perfect in the eyes of God, and perfect as a as a being, regardless yep. of again said. You even just take the take folks that may not understand or or adapt or or really adopt the 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 religious, if you know, that take spiritual, just natural side of it. Mm -hmm. Therapists need therapists, right? Like the even the people that are the best listeners, they need to unload on somebody. People that have the best habits break those habits. People that, like, regardless of what it is, nobody is perfect. And it sounds, again, like, you know, a picture of a cat hanging from a tree, like, hang in there, no one's perfect, or whatever, like, whatever witticism we would attach to it, this is the truth. And what we have to understand is that if we, if we don't dig in on that and don't remember that, it's very easy to go down a really dark to a dark place because you could say like, look, I, I failed at this. Thus I will never succeed at it. Yeah. Right. Realizing that, you know, Anthony Robbins, we talked about before and we've talked in the past about, you know, ever famous Tony Robbins, he struggled. He's yes. failed many times, you know, he struggled with, with his family life, struggled with his monetary life, with his physical being. And he got through it. And struggled again sometimes. And the truth is that what makes it easier for folks, I think, to really believe in, you know, his ability to like coach people up and 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 motivate them is because they know he's not just telling a perfect story. He's telling a story from a, a fellow that recovered, right? We talk to people that are in in recovery for addiction. And the first thing they do is they admit that they're as you say right we talked for you're you're broken mm -hmm. so what do we do what's our reaction then to that and and it's really and then when we look at sort of the history as we look to kind of like not erase history but make adjustments so that history isn't repeated i think one of the most risky things is to try and wipe out that history occurred 
Absolutely. Yeah, really they, tough things happened, but we also have to recognize that else we're going to suddenly like an Etch-A-Sketch have this bare start and we will, we will begin to relive unfortunate things if we don't look to the patterns that may have already occurred and, and have played out in really mm -hmm. difficult ways. One of the things that I love as a metaphor and of course being from the Christian faith, uh, people will be familiar with this, even if they're not in the uh, Bible or stuff, but it, you know, Jesus was the son of God. And, and so, you know, the Messiah, the thing. And so I look at myself, the way I describe myself is I am a son building the family business. I'm in the kingdom and I'm building the father's business. And so I, I like to use that metaphor with people in a spiritual context when I talk to them about business stuff, because identity is everything. Uh, the middle chapter, of, I think it's chapter four in the, the blueprint of God. I talk about identity without that. And it's the largest chapter in the book. Without identity, we are we are going to repeat the failures of the past. There's no doubt about it. And so what I like for people to think about is you have two. You basically have two core identities in humanity. One is the picture of a son or daughter. The other one is a picture of a victim. And you have to live from one place or the other. And what I mean, so people can get a concept naturally looking at it, is that when you go to eat at your house, your sons and daughters, I, I don't know if you have boys or girls or if you have both, but it doesn't matter. They, they sit down at the table and they don't think twice about opening the refrigerator and getting something out of it and eating whatever. They're like they're, they're sons and daughters. They're your children, right? And so they're 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 safe in their comfort in their in their identity that you're their dad and that everything's well, you know. And so when we live from that point, and this and, and I talk a little bit about this in my first book because I had this encounter in 2006, and I won't go through it, but it so changed me that I live from that state of I'm a son building the father's business, and what happens is it helps me avoid too much time at the victim's house, meaning that when I end up in these places that I fail and I fall from the high lofty, excellent thing that I put and I couldn't do it, just like the addict, he relapses or she relapses. And they're like, oh my God, am I ever gonna get free? You know, And it's like, we have those same, look, no one, it's like saying no one's perfect is not a, a uh, a card so you can just go sin all you want to, so to speak, or do evil all you want to. It's to recognize your humanity, you know, and recognize that you haven't arrived yet and you're not going to. You're always arriving and becoming. And this is what I try to get people to actually do when I'm dealing with them in a the business context and tying their spirit. Because look, life is life is. Uh, is about everything. Life's not just about making money. Life's about your relationship with your wife or your relationship with your kid or your relationship with your clients or, or the thing you, you like to bike, right? You're the bike. You, you like biking. That's the thing you enjoy. I love working out. It's like these things, life is full of lots of things that kind of are part of who you are. And when I can get people to become congruent at the core of who they are identity-wise, all these other things work out. Your relationship with your wife will be better. Your relationship with your kids will be better. I believe you'll be healthier. You'll make healthier choices eating so you can ride your bike further. Uh, you know, your business clients will love you because people want to be around fully alive people and people who are living free. And what defines me as a son is freedom and fully aliveness. 
does it, do I always live there? I wish I could tell you that I did, but I'd be lying to you, you know, because I fall just like the best of them. And, and sometimes I skin my knees, so to speak, you know, uh, pretty bad. And it's like, then I have to recognize, wait a minute, that's not who I am. See, this is the whole point. I do these I am statements with a lot of people and I make them write out who they are. And I have a list of my of my I am statements. And so because what you say, whenever you say I am, you're you're that's your identity, whether you mean for it to be or not. So be careful what you put I am in front of. And, And this is kind of like, but this is what happens when you fall and you succumb to the weakness or the disappointment or the sin, then what do you do then? It's just, it's where we started. It's amazing. We started with getting punched in the mouth. What's your plan then? You know, and, and it's interesting when you talk about, you know, this, this sort of idea, saying I am is an important thing. And it's funny, it's a nuance to the words. And even we, we talk about like negotiation, uh, one of the sort of famous things in, in anybody that studies negotiation is the difference. When you get somebody to negotiate, you don't want them to say you're right. You want to get them to say that's right. <laughs> that's because... Right. If you're saying you're right, then you're assigning that, and I'm not responsible for this anymore. It's your opinion. When you say I am, you own it. That's exactly right. You own it. That's right. And it's it, it's 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 that even like we talk about when you say I versus we, you know. And I often use the phrase when I tell people, you know, we have stuff goes wrong all the time at work, especially your life, wherever. And I always say it is like, I, I fail, but we succeed, right? So whenever something goes wrong, you're like, what's the opportunity that I could have taken that could have affected the outcome in a different way? And so it's not always, I'm not like saying, oh, everything's my fault, but I very much like, what, what is the thing that I could have done? Or what are a series of things that I could have done that could have changed this outcome? Yeah. And could I have done it? And it maybe it could be, you know, somebody else was, you know, responsible, right, for this problem. And I hate, I'm not blaming them. So I'll say, what could I have done to make sure that they don't end up in a situation where they ultimately may have triggered the situation, right? And a great book kind of brings a lot of what you talk about. Bill Walsh, if you ever read his book, it's called The Score Takes Care of Itself. Oh, yeah. Great and, book. Yeah. And, you know, he says, like, he was literally on a, on a, on a plane, you know, crying his eyes out, knowing that he's probably going to get fired when he lands because of significant repetitive losses. Yep. And, you know, he says, look, I'm supposed to be the the big coach. Like, no, he says, and I'm I'm weeping into this thing like like a like a child that lost a toy. He's like, yeah. and he got through it and he figured out, I don't want to feel like that again. So what do we do? And his whole a lot of the premise of the book is like, if you do these things, if you live by these principles. If you do these actions and you think about things in adversity and you get through adversity using these core principles and these core actions, lots of lists, a really great book for that. The score takes care of itself. If you do the right thing, you know, you don't coach from the sidelines, you coach from the locker room, you coach from the training ground. I've done it. I coached kids soccer screaming from the edge of the, like, no, (laughs) no, no matter what you yell at those kids out on that field, you're not changing the outcome right there. You you only are thinking you're only doing it for yourself to think that you're affecting things. What you did when you train them for an, an hour and a week and a month beforehand, what you teach them those techniques, you know, to to Bill's methods, right? The score takes care of itself from there. You know, the 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 one of the greatest quality of leaders is owning 
the problem because it shows the people when I, the last company that I ran, I had layers of vice presidents and also um, next level, we called them account managers. And, uh, and then we had layers of, of different ones of them. We had a vice president of, of HR and sales. And, and so I had a, a pretty good staff as far as the size of it. Um, but what ended always happened, whether it, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's, it, it's almost like developing a little bit of humility. Um, when you know that, in other words, if you're playing, we'll use football. If, if Brady threw the ball and it, it didn't get to the receiver, it's, 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 it's Brady's fault. Well, if Brady threw the ball and it got to the receiver and the receiver couldn't catch it, then Brady should still own it because great leaders own even their people's shortcomings when they did their best. Right. You know, I'm not for trying to gloss over things like if people are failing and they, they won't fix it. That's a different thing. But I'm talking about a lot of times your team puts everything they can in it and they make a mistake or it didn't work out or whatever. In those points, it's not going to help you just like on the sidelines yelling at the kids. It's not going to help me to say this was your fault. Let me tell you what great leaders do. I'm going to own that. I, I realize we did all we could. And I know that one thing happened, but. Hey, don't worry about it. We'll get it next time. You cannot believe how much just that statement and similar syntax of that, of those words have caused people to be so loyal to me who were at every level of leadership in my company, because they knew I wasn't going to, you know, if they kept making mistakes, then we tried to correct it. That's a different whole issue. But I'm talking about by and large, great leaders take ownership of the failure. Right. Because it doesn't do any good. To, it, even if the people made the mistake and it wasn't you, it's still not going to do you any good to beat them up. That's like yelling at the kids on the sidelines, right? It's, it's like it's not going to accomplish anything. you got to wait till you get in the locker room and say, okay, all right, so Johnny, we've got to do this. We want to try to, you know, whatever the soccer term is. I don't know anything about soccer. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the guys that I coach is a, used to be used to be a professional soccer player, so he knows everything about soccer. But I know him, so I don't, I don't have to. I don't really know the rules of soccer. But the point is, it's like you have to do the coaching in the locker room. It's such a great metaphor because it's like you can scream all you want to on the sidelines. It's too late. You either didn't coach well enough before you put the kids on the field, or something went wrong. Own it, and show them how to implement new things the next time they play. It's definitely the it it becomes the challenge of any leadership really and and another great book that I recommend to a, a lot of folks is called Legacy. Uh, I can't I forget the author. Actually, I feel terrible that I don't have it handy. Uh, but it's about the the New Zealand All Blacks uh, rugby okay. team. Okay, I've heard about that. Yeah, fantastic book, and it reminded me so deeply of my team at work. And, you know, one of the great stories is that, you know, that after a winning game, the reporter comes back in. They're generally not allowed in, but this fellow was given full access to the team for this period of time, which was very out of the ordinary because they didn't want anyone to kind of interfere. But they also wanted to welcome people to see how they did it. And it was like the two star players that had scored the most, that had led the most when it was time and they finished and they won the game. They go back to the locker room. And then they're sweeping the locker room as the rest of the team goes to celebrate. And he has this real sort of moment. He's like, well, why are you're the, you're the star players. And they're like, we are a team. 
And this is what leaders do, you know. And I remember going to, we had a, a huge company event one time and that literally played out with nobody having read the story. It was like, everybody was left like, okay, everybody go to the place. We're going to go have drinks and dinner and relax. And it literally was, you know, my team, the leadership team. So everybody that has executive in their name is there literally picking up chairs, stacking things up so that we can make sure that the people that were taking care of the the catering didn't have to take care of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it, it's, it really stuck with me that this is what teams do and what leaders do. And, uh, you know, it, and again, we look to how it plays out. We we have stories and we can find these stories now and, and folks that are doing it, right? Like, so you're, you're coaching and mentoring. So I'm curious, actually, Don, what, how, how do you sort of choose either first a mentor and also choose who you can coach? Because uh, I know you probably get a lot of folks who've come to you said, Don, you're, I know you're a great coach. I'd love to bring you on. It's not an automatic thing, right? No, I typically uh, there's four or five things that I that I really look. I, I think if you actually, I think it's on my website. But if you go with it and apply, then what happens is there's a couple things that I want you to, you know, answer before I consider working with you. But for me, the biggest thing is is you know having I lo- I don't like to coach people personally who are not already some type of leader because it seems like I, I don't do good. I don't do really well handholding. And so you're going to have to jump off the blocks pretty fast with me and, and move. And so some of that's got to do with just your dreams, your desire level, uh, what you're looking to accomplish, because sometimes people are, Hey, sometimes people that come to me are bigger than me in life. And I'm like, I'm not sure that I can help you. <laughs> you know? Like if Tony Robbins applied, I don't know that it would be much. I, you know, I probably could teach him something about spirituality maybe, but uh, there's always things that, that people can learn. Let everyone be your teacher. I love that whole statement. But um, the, um, the mentoring part is uh, used to be easy. You know, when you're young in business, everybody knows more than you. So when I was in my 20s, it was easy to find mentors. The older you get in life and the more success you have, it gets harder to find mentors because you need bigger people. Right. And you don't always get access to them. So a lot of what I did in, the, in, the, in probably the last decade has been through, uh, you know, CD or conferences and stuff like that. Although I do have one mentor uh, that and you add the question was, how do you pick them out? I I want someone who inspires me when I, when I see them or I see some greatness already in them that I won't reflect it in myself. And so that's kind of the core of what I look for. And it could be in business. It could be in the spiritual sense. Um, and uh, that's kind of the primary driver for me. Uh, I want to look up to them and, and know that they've accomplished and know that. And one of them, one of my mentors is Lance Wallnow, who uh, has wrote a couple books and he's a, he's kind of a business futurist guy. And um, he's um, he's really a great guy. And he's and and uh, he gives me, you know, as much time as he can because he's a busy he's a busy guy. Uh, and that's one thing about mentors. You have to cut them a little bit of slack because most of the time they're <laughs> they're busier than you think they are, <laughs> you know. So make sure I love what John Maxwell says. And I try to do this. I've got a pad and a pen right here that you're saying things that I'm writing things down because uh, I learned this from him. He said, you know, when he started, in, uh, you know, 
business type stuff. He wanted to learn from mentors and he would call people that he could get their number and he would pay for their lunch and go have a two hour lunch room. He never ate. He took a pad and a pen and he wrote notes down and asked them questions and paid oh, for wow. them. Yeah. That's really cool. And I thought, man, that is so, that's such a great lesson. And until uh, to this day, if I go to meet with someone that I consider over me for a lack of better words, I always take a pen and a pad. It's such a, one, such a great opportunity, wanna, right? Like it's, it, it is it generally, you know, and it can be done in such an easy way of like, cause they're generally willing to share, right? That's their, they love that's as a being leaders and being those who've gotten through something. The greatest thing is when you can pass that along to someone. One of the greatest things that's a, a, a a lift for a coach or a mentor that you're going to see is the taking that pad and not just taking it so you can take notes, but also have four or five things wrote down. You want to ask them because that makes them know that you took time to think through what you wanted from them instead of it being haphazard. And they'll see that the, they see that you value their time. Right. Uh, I learned this lesson from, from Chet Holmes. Chet's not uh, no longer with us. He was a peak performance coach guy. He worked for Charlie Munger, who was, uh, uh, Warren Buffett's small, small investment uh, fellow. Yeah, uh, I yeah. Think so heard he worked for him, and he tells the story that you only get, you had to make appointments. I mean, he worked directly for him. He ran he ran magazines for him, and in order to meet with him, you had to set an appointment up. And when you came, you better have your pad and pen, and you better have the notes, and you better be on top of what you needed to ask because you only got a few minutes. Right. And it really taught me the, the value of people's time. So when when you do get a mentor, really value their time. Be considerate of their time. And then if you can't get the mentors you want, hey, look, that's the wonderful thing about self-help stuff. You can get books and you can get CDs. You can go to conferences. I mean, there's so much at the hand today that we didn't used to have 20 years ago. Think about it. In uh, in the early 90s, there wasn't hardly an Internet. <laughs> that's right. It, 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 is, it is amazing to think that we have... We have already very much taken for granted the ease of access to things. But even at, even with that, even though we take it for granted, the one thing that we don't do well enough, and I sort of pull on the, I think Tim Ferriss said this, he's like, if you, if you want to ask something to somebody, you got to ask. <laughs> you know, like, and like he went out and he like emailed a bunch of people and said, I, I want to interview you. And like, there's no reason why this would happen. And I've learned this myself. I said, like, when I started this podcast, it was like, they're like, what happens when you run out of friends to interview? I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm going to have to meet new people. And through the course of doing this now, I luckily have the opposing problem where I am choosing from a pool of people that are coming because they enjoy being able to share their stories, you know, and, and we discovered each other through that, Don. And, yeah. it's, and it's, it's amazing to see that if I had not done the work and made that jump to like, I got to try this out. I've got to commit to it. And it may not go well. And it didn't go well all the time, right? There were challenges along the way. But as I went through and sort of followed, like the lessons you talked about, like, okay, all right. I think I've got a cadence now. I've got to figure it out and, you know, be prepared, be ready to listen. I say this as the guy who's taught half the time here, Don, I totally <laughs> still at all the mic time, but it, when, when I talk to you, it, it reminds me of what I enjoy and being able to impart upon other people in my mentoring relationships. And that's why it's, I really appreciate that you and I can kind of share these stories and, 
you know, and like I said, people are, I recommend, we'll have a link to the book as well in the show notes. I would do that. I look down as if it's like, like down below. It will be down below as people. Are, so the funny thing is we're actually going, we're doing this on YouTube as well. So uh, I'm actually adding the video, which is awesome. super fun because then people can actually connect with, with, cool. you know, fantastic folks like yourself. It's, it's such a nice additive to the, the audio conversation. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it's been a crazy journey. One of the things that, uh, you know, I uh, wanted to offer, we talked a little bit of this in the beginning, is um, I, I have several business type products. And um, I don't, you know, your, the, your audience, I'm sure there's some business people out there. So maybe we can set up something where, you know, every month or every month or two or month, six weeks or whatever, we can we can tackle some di some business t titles and products and and just different things. You know, I, I have uh, I have one I, that Chet helped me develop. Actually, it's called the I don't I haven't really named it yet, but the the working title is World Class Business Systems, and it's it's a it's about twenty five thousand words, um, and it I think I'm going to make it into more of a workbook instead of a published book, uh, and I go through twelve things that I worked on in both of the multi-million dollar companies that I built. And it's, uh, I teach people how to work on the business. I work on systems and work on different things. Uh, and the, there's actually 12 in there. And the way I, way I teach people when I mentor them is typically I'll start with one a month and, and they implement one a month, but you know, they're obviously one of them is on sales. So if somebody's lacking in sales, they might go right to number three or four and start working on that one and work backwards or forwards. It's no rhyme or reason to how to use the, the system as far as the, the topics that you teach on. But it's a great system because most people don't understand that running a business is a lot more than you know, just going and getting clients. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a, if you're, you'll be lucky far more than right. If That's that, if you get success that way, it's, uh, and, you know, and really the thing is the lessons that you share here and, and through the work you do is it's also bringing the hard lessons. I think it was, it was like, uh, Andreessen Horowitz, you know, was like both, of, both sides of that have, have shared Ben Horowitz, you know, and it talks about this, one book's called The Hard Thing About Doing Hard Things. Mm -hmm. And it, it is talking about the real difficulties that happen. Unfortunately, we in business, no one wants to spend time on it, you know, because you don't want to celebrate failure. But in a sense, the best thing you can do for bringing someone to the business world is like, okay, here's some signals you should watch for. And this may be indicative of a of a greater issue. Here's how you build and scale. And And, you know, we talked about before, like, when you choose somebody as a mentor, you look for somebody who effectively has a has walked a path that you wish to walk. Mm -hmm. And so at your level of where you would seek a mentor would be very different than somebody who's looking to just start a three-person startup. Yeah. You may be able to add incredible value to those people. I don't doubt you could. Right. But if you're that wanting to get a brand new startup off the ground, you're probably going to want to talk to somebody who's done it two or three times and maybe maybe they didn't even grow it to a multi-million dollar business. But you want someone that has walked that path successfully. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and can get you through there, but not all, you know, as as they say in the Top Gun line, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not here to blow sunshine up your ass, kid. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to tell you some hard stories and we're going to experience them. That's part of you know, that adversity that makes us better as a result. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, Don, I know uh, you, we, speaking of time, I know I've got limited time with you today, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing this time. Uh, we will definitely get reconnected. Uh, I, I'd love to share some of those those lessons and stories on the business side with with folks. I know our listeners, like I said, I got great responses from people that love the first uh, show we had. So I, I hope they do, you know, enjoy this. It's, uh, and, you know, I very much appreciate that you very openly share these stories and these lessons with everybody. Absolutely. That's my joy. You know, at the end of the day, I figured out uh, over the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years, what gives me juice is actually uh, personal growth personally and then being able to contribute. Well, you don't have anything to give if you don't grow. <laughs> so I love giving stuff away. You know, I love uh, it. I've got, I have a spiritual mentor who has this quote, and I think it's so accurate about life. He said, what feeds me feeds them. So them is the people that you are wanting to give life away to, the, the answers to, the, the, the be there to console them when the, maybe the overwhelming problem shows up, you know, and, and seeing that glimmer in their eye when that transformation happens, man, I just that that's what gives me juice. It's like I, I get up, I get up for that every day because it's like you can give it, you can give stuff away to people. I went to Whole Foods today to get some stuff at the grocery store before this podcast. And it's like, man, I can give stuff the way to strangers. I don't have to know them. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like just being able to give life away. It's cause there's, there's so much out there that takes from you. It's like learn how, one of the things that, that, uh, and, and I know Tony makes this statement, but it is really true. The reason for living is giving. I mean, there's no, there's really nothing that juices me personally more than being able to give some sort of tidbit, some sort of insight, some sort of maybe one line or something out of one of my books that that actually when I look, I'm looking at the people in the eyes and they get it and I see the light bulb go off, you know, and it's like, man, that is like what life's about, you know. So, you know, I look forward to uh, hopefully, you know, jumping back on. A, I've got um, it, that system's in kind of a rough manuscript form, so I could probably send it to you and you could just kind of read through. You'd have to realize it hadn't been edited yet. So, <laughs> uh, as somebody's written a few things in my time, let me tell you, I know what that editing process is like. It's both beautiful and horrific. It's such a beautiful thing to like give it to somebody and, and they do all this work and you see the red ink and the, the comments and all this stuff come back and you're like, oh, I need to get out of the writing business. <laughs> when it's done, you're like, that's right. And yeah. that is like the ultimate in negotiation of like that. It was the right way to say that thing. And it's, it is really tough because we're so used to like, that's why I like conversations because we can meander a bit. It's not so terrible, but when you're committing to the written word, yeah, there's no, no room for meandering. It's got to be very structured. And uh, so I always appreciate a great editor. And uh, they always tell me, they're like, you, you actually don't like that. And I'm like, no, I don't like it when it's happening, but I right. sure like the outcome. <laughs> Absolutely. There, yeah. The, the, uh, the book you just read, I had the, the editor that I have, she had helped me with my first book and she went through it twice. And then I made a few changes and it was like, it's so much better. Well-written and well-read when you read the storyline with her hands on it. I mean, it's just without that, it wouldn't be, it would still be kind of in a crude manuscript form. Cause I, I can write to one level, but I'm not one of the people who, you know, that has that creative touch and the flow 
type thing when it comes to that stuff. I'm, I'm a little bit too impatient for, for that <laughs> part of the process. It is, uh, I tell you, there's a test of wills, you know, committing to a long form. My wife, she wrote a book and she's like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. You, you know, I, I'm, I'm a blog writer. I, I do podcasts, I do all these other things. But same thing is every time I start a writing project, I'm like, oh, this is a terrible idea. When you're done, you just feel so good. But it's it's a real yeah. commitment of time. And the flow is really what, like I said, what I really appreciate in the book is you you continuously do beautiful callbacks and the themes carry throughout. And that is tough to do, right? To be able to go into the story, go into the beginning, and from the paragraph one, you know where you need to get and you carry them through the journey and continuously you sort of, you know, ratchet back. This is okay. We're here and let's go back for a second. Right. That's how we got here. Okay. Let's go to the next. And it's, it's a, it's a flow that is, is really, it just is pervasive throughout the book. So it was very, very well done. You know, the one thing that I've learned in this is my third. Well, I've got a couple other manuscripts written, but this is the third one that's actually going to be published um, is that the first couple were decent. But I started reading, you know, I'm, I'm an avid reader anyways, but I, I, I started paying attention, I guess, is what I would say to other people's writings and how they wrote. Right. And I kind of fell in love. You know, I read the, the the 12, I forget the name, the 12 Rules for Life, you know, by Jordan Peterson. I just right. love storytelling, you know, thing. And um, I'm like, I grew up on a farm, so I have a lot of stories to tell. I mean, I've kind of done, done a little bit of everything in business. So, like, how do I, how can I put that? And I tried to put a little bit of that flavor in this third book because, you know, I, I actually got done with it. And um, I read my mentor's new book. And he was telling stories in the beginning of every chapter. And I'm like, I got to go back and tell the stories. I got to, I got to, I can't do it. You know, so I went back to every chapter and kind of, kind of made it flow a little bit better before I let the editor get a hold of it. Cause I really wanted, you know, it to flow well and to tell the story in steps, phases and, and then put together and, and, um, you know, the creative side, I'm creative. Everyone's creative because our, our, our daddy is the creator. So, you know, you, it doesn't matter, but different people's creativity comes out different ways, you know? So mine is more usually in, in speaking and, and, and bringing transformation and, and uh, some leadership things it, it, writing. I'm good. I'm getting better at it, but I, it, it's hard for me because it's, I have to really work at it. I have to put the work in, you know, it's um, kind of like poker, like great, you know, uh, stud poker, turn, turn one, burn one, right? You got, you got, unfortunately, you got to put a few out there. It's like any, any muscle, right? Effectively, you got to work it and there will be training and there it's, uh, it's, it is very difficult and that your editor is your personal trainer on that process because they, they've kind of been through there. They can give you the guidance, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I admire your ability to, to, put those stories onto paper and, and do it with a real, a real, real great way of telling the story, bringing the lessons, keeping the flow. And, and just in general, like today, you have a lot of output, Don, you're a busy gentleman. I, I'm, uh, I, I'd love to see what your calendar looks like. Cause mine looks like a losing game of Tetris. So I have trouble fitting it in better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, gotta, I gotta work on that. 
you know, one of the things that I realized the more you do the productive people, busy people or, or productive people, you just learn how to fit it in. And you, and, and I, I, I don't do time management. I do, I manage by the people I want to connect with. And yeah. that's why we're on this podcast. I reached back out to you because I'm in this season of my life where, you know, just like you, you've got a pool of people you're pulling from and you want to have the best people on your podcast for the, for your listeners. And uh, for me, it's like life is short and I want to make sure that I am putting my time where, uh, as it says in the movie, Maximus says, you know, what we do in this life will echo in eternity. And I love that statement because I want my life to echo in eternity. And I want to I want to spend it with people who want to change the world and make it a better place. Because that's that's kind of one of my core thesis of what I live for as, as well. And so I think you're one of those. And I'm sure your listeners are, are, are those type of people and living up to that level. So and for that, I thank you. Uh, and, and with that, it's been a pleasure. So Don W. Long, uh, for folks, of course, if you're watching, you get to see, I, I made sure you got your website there. It's donwlong.com. I'll have links to to your website, to the book, to the other stuff in there. I also did your, I'm, I, I went through your audio course and a lot of other stuff. So yeah, very much appreciate it. So, uh, and any other ways, what's the best way if folks did want to reach out, Don? Uh, social media, email, what's your sort of favorite? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I have a, a coaching at donwlong.com. It's coaching at donwlong.com is the easiest email to reach me at. And, um, you know, I'd love for people to check out the new book. Uh, it, you know, I don't know when this podcast will come out, but it, it's coming out the about the second week of February publicly, but it's actually out on Amazon now. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, just looking forward to uh, connecting with you and your group here in the near future, maybe talking about some business things, you know, let's, let's, let's do it. So. I like it. I like it. All right, Don, thank you very much. And uh, we will talk again soon. Sounds good. 